0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Forum 2 Universal Concerns, a panel discussion produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia for the 2018 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art Divided Worlds. Chaired
1: by the Art Gallery of South Australia's Curator of Contemporary Art, Lee Robb, this panel considers how contemporary artists negotiate culture, cosmology, and spirituality in their work. Panelists include participating Adelaide biennial artists Amos Gebhardt, Hayden Fowler and Khalid Sabsabi.
2: Good morning, everyone. This has got to be one of the best morning symposium uh, audiences we've ever had the pleasure of seeing, so welcome. Thank you all for bearing with us while we managed to squeeze everyone in. I love front row seats and the beanbags, so welcome, everyone. Uh, my name's Lee Robb, I'm the Curator of Contemporary Art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia and I feel very privileged and honoured to be sitting alongside three incredibly talented um, artists who I have long admired and followed their practice and, um, and it's a, a, real, uh, a real privilege to be able to, to speak together about you know, incredibly um, deep topics, I think. We're meeting here on the Ghana country, and that we pay our respects to elders, past, present, and future, and acknowledge that we're able to meet here on Aboriginal land, always was, always will be. So, okay, we've got um, we've got about an hour or just under to um, to delve into deep topics. The the subject: universal concerns. Um, I think in bringing in being able to bring together and introduce you to Khaled Sabsavi, Amos Gebhardt and Hayden Fowler is um, is a way to, to think about these incredibly intersectional complex practices that um, are really trying to unpack key issues around um, crises in uh, uh, sp- uh, and connections to spirituality, to ecology and also to our sexuality. And um, the, we thought the way that we do that so that um, as we have such a robust audience and we're all quite keen to, to have a, a discussion is that we'll, uh, we might just start with a bit of, a, a bit of an introduction and a, a, an overview in some way of some of the enduring concerns in, in each of the artist's practice and um, taking us to their current biennial work. So um, we're going to uh, – and that'll be about five to eight minutes each, and then we can actually open up for a discussion um, together uh, about, about the works and the, the urgent um, topics at hand. So I'm delighted to introduce and welcome Khaled Sabsabi, who's Thank going to, to start um, the session. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Welcome all. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a free, uh, free-form uh, thing. So, I'd just like to acknowledge everyone here in, in the room, our peers and uh, colleagues, and, and the audience in general. So, um, we've got a slideshow happening. Um, I've chosen several images for this work because I feel that they uh, sort of uh, ground historically uh, uh, what led or what, you know, I mean, one that related closely to my practice, but also in terms of you know, the philosophy and the ideas and uh, uh, what sort of drives my work as well, but also how I've worked through some of the content and, uh, and the material as all of us. So this, this work I did in 2006 and it's called You. And um, <clears throat> the reason why I've chosen this work, it's a two-channel work and it was made around the same time as the uh, guerrilla series that's in this biannual. But what led to that work here was uh, sort of a, a, a transition to where we are now. We only have five or eight minutes to talk. But this work in particular was looking at, the the person there is Hassan Nasrallah, so he's the uh, spiritual leader of Hezbollah. Um, and um, we won't go into the whole politics of things, uh, of that, because uh, you know we can do that uh, another time, most of you know, but this was really this work looked at the idea of representation in terms of you know s- spiritual representation, especially in islam. We uh, at the time in two thousand and six was uh, uh, looking at this idea of um, uh, you know how do you start to represent things in, in a in a place where uh, you know, you were told, and uh, scholars have told you over years, uh, hundreds of years, that representation of, of creation form is a, t- a taboo subject, or it's a forbidden subject. And um, the idea of also the the light and the vanishing as well and so on, so these all came in, into play in that. But in relation to the work that's in the biennial now is that... Um, This work was about, you know, the divine victory in 2006, the 33-day war between Hezbollah and uh, Israel uh, was about the divine victory. So after the war, there was the whole sort of message about the divine victory, and then I I witnessed part of that uh, uh, circumstance, and uh, you start to sort of ask yourself, what does this divine victory mean? So um, we had a talk this morning at Samstag, so I apologise if there's any repetition uh, for those of you who are there. So that's that's you. And, you know, m- my work sort of re- looks at the collective nature of things as well. We, uh, not not they. And, and there's all that sort of uh, play there. Um, next image. 99. So uh, 99 was um, the idea of the externalised revolution and as opposed to the internalised and how they work. So 99 representing the 99 uh, uh, beautiful names of Allah and the attributes of Allah, and the other work is called 99 Names. So it's also about finding a way that you work through things and you're able to sort of, uh, uh, you know, continuously work through things, challenge yourself, rethink things, reposition things, and so on and so on, in terms of your growth, in terms of how you develop your ideas and so on and so on. on on the life and also the spiritual sort of uh, uh, background. And this this, this work was very simple. It's uh, uh, the uh, revolution. So it's dervish spinning, uh, um, so it's the externalised and the internalised, which also refers to Sufi uh, uh, um, practice and and, uh, philosophy in terms of the seen and the unseen realms and the worlds and so on. But um, this is the... Physical and externalized as opposed to the internalized revolution, so the act of the revolution, but also the internalized sort of uh, meaning of a revolution, or uh, the effects of that, and how, how, how do you deal with the external as opposed to the internalized so that 's that one next one mush mush was looking um, was a levitating cube, and um, it was looking at the idea of the infinite, and in this this work was um, I think 2012. It was taken over about I don't know six or seven years worth of travel and uh, archival material and so on. But it was actually looking the infinite and the 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 cube. You know, it's a reference to the Kaaba in in Mecca, and the idea of it being levit you know levitating in the space and. Uh, this idea of the infinite, and where you know the audience would walk in and they would look. There's the idea of the infinite, but then there's a the contradiction where it's a it's uh, in terms of uh, you know it's an electronic, it's a digital I- image, and uh, and you know there's it starts to pose the questions of uh, around the infinite and also um, uh, so on. Yeah. So next one. Um, this work is called, was called. Um, Organised confusion. So um, this sort of brings and brings it back to uh, the idea of um, uh, Western Sydney and um, because, you know, I'm really passionate about Western Sydney, I've grew up in Western Sydney and, and so on, and the idea of, you know, people, multiculturalism, uh, but also people getting together in, in a common voice. And, uh, you know, besides where it's about perspectives where things can be seen as... A threat to some, it's comfort to others. So, uh, uh, you know, it's all about uh, perspective. Your experience, you know, reflects on your perspective. So before we... It's how we digest an image, how we see an image, how we we come to a conclusion in terms of an image before we, uh, you know, actually understand what's going on. So the idea is, uh, you know, these are Western Sydney Wanderers fans and, and, you know, it was the first time that uh, we saw... Uh, in Western Sydney, uh, as is probably uh, some of you are aware, and you know it's a, a, a really culturally diverse uh, community, and uh, uh, and to be able to bring people together in ethnicity is a, is is a great thing, and I felt really uh, inspired to make this work because it was really the first time that I. I uh, I went to a football match and, and saw this, and uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the idea, you know, uh,
4: it's
3: just how, how how we digest image and how we process image. And of course, there's the sort of the uh, the the whole idea of how how um, you know subverting the image as well with with the uh, six channel work there. Our uh, next image, that's it. Uh, Seventy thousand veils. 70,000 Veils was a 100-channel video work. It was in 3D. It was looking at the idea of, um, you know, uh, Prophet Muhammad uh, uh, said that there's 70,000 uh, layers uh, of veils uh, between uh, uh, you and the divine, number between the divine and you. And then mm-hmm. Jalal Rumi took that uh, uh, and, he, you know, he spent, uh, you know... Um, a lot, and wrote about you know what what are these seventy thousand veils what are they in terms of their thresholds are they uh, uh, levels, layers, and so on so uh, in that interpretation um, the, the work is uh, ten thousand photographs collected over seven years, seven odd mm-hmm. years uh, brought into photoshop, and then um, you know um, uh, pulled apart, um, you know, destroyed in a sense, and then recon- reconstructed. And the 3D acts uh, uh, as, as uh, for the viewer, as an opportunity to be able to uh, cross, uh, cross that threshold. And we were talking about that yesterday. Similarities, and and it's for the audience and uh, um, to sort of d- yeah, do that. So um, I think that's. Oh, we have got the last one. The work here. There's
2: one more
3: is there? Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> so this this is one of the works there. So we return back to uh, the you know to this and uh, the 99 names and what what I uh, with conversation with Erica and um, it was uh, you know I started to work this uh, work at first uh, and it was really about um, you know working with the content in terms of the actual circumstance and and so on and uh, through this it became a, a, a process where I came to realisation that you know it's a meditative thing, it's about uh, uh, contemplation, it's also about inquiry and, uh, and through that we'll decide well we go back to this uh, you know idea of the, the, the 99 and, and, and so on so uh, um, you know there's that sort of spiritual um, connection to that. What's the last one? Oh, At the Speed of Light. So At the Speed of Light is also at Ace Open, so you see the other one, the Gorilla 99 names uh, at uh, Samstag, and this one's at Ace Open, so it's called At the Speed of Light. So it, this work um, was really a, a concept, so as artists, and, you know, we challenge and so on, so uh, in, 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 um, in sacred texts, it's the idea we all know, the idea of uh, beings of light and uh, parallels, and and you know uh, realms and so on. So the question was with this light is oh, sorry with this work was because it's really you know um, concept driven. And the idea was that if we were to travel at the speed of light, will we interact with this other realm? And as as you know, uh, you know um, from from theory, uh, you know uh, if you travel at the speed of light, you can tear a hole in the universe, and we'd all be sucked into a black hole. So. Uh, how do you manifest that into, a, into an artwork, you know, with your limited uh, resources and so on? So That's
2: the question of the day. Yeah, so, well, I, I,
3: you know, I, um, I worked with the Sydney observatory uh, from my little garage in Bonnyrig in Western Sydney and uh, found out the coordinates plotted, uh, you know, in terms of the time of the year, taking Earth's tilt and so forth and uh, the speed of Earth and the rotation and so on, utilised the speed of Earth and then times that, you know, the mathematics at all in the exhibition for you to see and to be able to work out the exact time in terms of video, linear time recording the amount of time I needed to record, which is continuous 11 days and 34 minutes or whatever and then 218 hours and then you sort of speed that up to equal the one second and that would what would be the speed of light. I mean, but that's it. So uh, uh, there it is. So i uh, solve. There you go. Just give us, you know, who wants God, God particle. It's all here. Um, yeah, so this is it. Um, so that's it. Uh, so you can have a look at that. And the 11, um, the 11 came about because the computer could not process all the... Uh, the, uh, the data in one hit, so it had to be in eleven lots, so while you render those to do video mm. you know couldn 't do it, you know eleven days and... anyway <laughs> that's um, the twenty five frames are the twenty five frames because it was shot in twenty five frames, and it brings back to the to the thing where the text is the concept translated into the five most spoken languages. Mm. Um, and that's, and that's a, a gift, you know, because the idea of gift in, in work, uh, which is to receive, to give and receive, um, is, is important and it's also part of that work as well. And, and the rocks sort of signify the, the, the witness to our actions and, 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 our, and our life in, in this form. So um, that's how it works.
2: Perfect. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So from thinking about how to possibly contemplate making a work that represents uh, or tries to represent um, uh, the speed of light (coughs) to um, Amos Gebhardt who's been thinking about deep time and, um, and spaces before they were possibly inhabited by humans and we are in a lot of these conversations, thinking about um, our relation to place through time, time and temporality came up a lot in the last session, and you know, is is something that I think each of you are also grappling with in terms of you know we were even talking about technology being able to catch up with ideas to be able to um, for, for you to be able to realise your works. All three of you um, work with incredibly ambitious. Um, and complicated, uh, you know, uh, moving image work as well, which. You know, Khaled, you've said that it's taken years to even be able to find the technology and the way to realise um, at the speed of light, and and I know that that's something that you've also been thinking about the the duration and um, and uh, and and temporality using something which is linear ultimately, um, uh, you know, film editing and cinematography techniques, but trying to think of time either as circular or as a boomerang or as infinite. Um, so so, you know, these are, these are you know, really, really complex uh, things to grapple with. Amos, do you mind taking us through some of sure. some of your works?
1: Yes, yes, sure. Um, well, these ontological themes of, of how we're here and why we're here, certainly things that preoccupy me in, in my practice. And um, Can everyone hear okay? We need to clip it up higher. Clip it up higher. <laughs>
2: Or just, or just hold.
1: <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't want to. Do that. There we go. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. It, it works. Yeah. Yeah. It works. <laughs> um, so, for me, I suppose I a riddle or a koan that returns to me when I'm thinking about my work is um, this idea of how to grapple with what sh- is essentially a visual language to try to articulate something that's inherently not visible um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a riddle to try to get your head around how to, how to create something that can be sensed but not seen and um, the work that I've one of the works, um, Evanescence that, that I've made um, for the biennial is as the title suggests it's, it's looking at um, the idea of impermanence and impermanence is something that pervades all our lives um, in different ways I suppose when you, when you think about the birth and death of a, of a day or, or a relationship or even a, a lifetime or a species, um, this idea of impermanence, I think, firmly roots us in, in the natural world. And so this idea of human identity and our origins in the natural world sort of um, frames a lot of my work. So dealing with elemental aspects like, like the sky or like wilderness landscape become very important in... Um, framing and composing the, the human form. So I work a lot with the naked human form, and um, there's, there's a kind of intrinsic uh, honesty that I find that, that comes with just the, the purity of the form of the body. And in even essence, I was, I was interested to represent the, bo- the body as kind of rising up out of the, the Earth's crust, as if it's, it's this material extension of, of the Earth itself. And we are actually made up of the same minerals and elements that can be found in the Earth's crust. So to me, there's a material kind of um, echo that happens there that that also suggests an immaterial linkage too. So I suppose even in essence, I was was attempting to um, draw this visual, very strong visual connection between the body and the Earth um, in in an attempt to to suggest um, a spiritual linkage as well. So I, I was very interested in, in finding locations that, that were remnant, remnant wilderness locations, which, which held a, a sense of the wild and that didn't have any overt Western interference—no no, no pathways or buildings or, or clearings. And um, I think these spaces are very important to us, to, us, to our psyches. They, they kind of—they kind of have this, um, this ability to connect us to deep time. They're, they're the spaces where. Our, very long stretch of ancestral lineage goes back. I, I read recently that we shared an ancestor with a bird 320 million years ago, that the human humans did. Um, so these types of species interconnectedness, I think, is still resonant in these remnant wilderness places. So they're, they're very powerful places. Um, so to pos- position the, the naked human form in, in that context was, was something that um, I wanted to explore. Um, but also... The actual casting of the work was very important to me because I I wanted to uh, kind of upend the um, dominant narrative of what humanness is. I think when we we kind of consider Western context of humanness, we often find the dominant hero's journey is exemplified by a white, muscular, young, conventionally attractive heterosexual man. And I, I wanted to kind of push back against that and I was very committed to working with people who um, kind of represented a stronger sense of pluralism um, that made up a more kind of honest portrait, to me anyway, of of humanness. So I I was very committed to work with people who, from um, diverse cultural backgrounds, people who identified beyond traditional gender binaries, people from a big age bracket, bigger-bodied people, people who often are raised from that dominant Western narrative. So that was also an attempt, I guess, for me to... um, see how multiplicity of identities could, could go coexist in this work. Um, and there's a, there's a strong sound design to this work, too. Um, I, I wanted to work with the sounds of the natural rhythms of the landscape and see how they impacted the rhythms of the body and the modality of the, the, the human movement. And bird calls have become a very strong motif in the work. And um, there's, a, there's a pied butcher bird in here that, that is a very strong backbone acoustically to the work and a, a, the, bat, the pied butcher bird diverged from the magpie six million years ago so it's been calling its melody around the rock faces and forests of this country for, for six million years in one form or another so I guess I wanted to pay homage to the unfathomable amount of time that that that, 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 that is and those bird calls kind of hold these, these stories of resilience and, and survival that that I wanted to kind of celebrate um, in the work. And um, so that, uh, the, the concepts of interconnectedness between species is, is important to me. And Lovers is another work that I made up at Samstag. And that's um, a photo shoot I did with, with horses during mating season. And um, it was a very charged space. The horses hold a very strong sense of drama. And their body language is, is very um, beautiful to watch, but it's very complex. And so I shot them in slow motion to really get the minutiae of the way that their horsetail swishes and their ears go back and the intensity in their eyes to really draw this, um, this powerful sense of narrative that goes on, um, because I'm interested in creating spaces where the drama of other species kind of has credence, and we can kind of leave this human-centric point of view for a moment and consider the, the power of the drama of the, lives of the emotional lives of other animals. Um, and um, there are no others. Is another work. Have you just cycled through there? That's the work I made. Um, these bodies rise and fall in extreme slow motion, and everybody in the work um, identifies as uh, beyond gender binaries. So it's for me a work where I wanted to position the idea of that infinite sky space and relate that sense of fluidity of form in the elements to the idea of fluidity of gender expression and. Um, that infinite way that we can express our gender if we actually allow ourselves to. Um, so that's that's probably it.
2: English, yeah. I think it's <laughs> beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. So I think the the interconnectedness um, between us, but also the connection that. We have with animals, and I guess, um, you know how that actually brings out our humanity, or also allows us to connect with you know, for example, concepts of time that endure back from 40 to 60,000 years to six million years, are things that have also been um, concerning Hayden Fowler and, mm-hmm. um, and have been of you know enduring, enduring interest in, in your work. Um, should we? Should we start? Go there. Shall I start?
5: Yeah. Go on. Um, yeah. Look, I, 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 I sort of tell this story quite a lot, but I, I realise how much um, over time, how much, how more and more important, or how important this this kind of childhood landscape that I grew up in was, and how it sort of comes back to my work constantly, and a lot of my ideas. So I, I spent a lot of time alone in the landscape on my grandparents' property when I was between the ages of about four until um, 15 or so and for those of you who know New Zealand was the last place on earth to be inhabited by people so Māori only arrived there about 800 years ago um, and then Europeans 250 years ago so within this landscape there was uh, there's living elements of the primordial so there's a whole primordial the last primordial untouched human wilderness on earth um, was in New Zealand so I was growing up in this landscape where there was um, sort of 2,000-year-old trees that were sort of visible, these incredible sort of mountain landscapes. Then there was sort of the whole sort of written um, into the landscape, built, kind of carved into the hillscape, remnants of um, Maori culture and civilization. And then there was this overriding um, Western civilization where the landscape had been cleared, the swamps had been drained, a lot of the animals had become extinct. So all within sort of one framework of image, there was all this kind of flux and change and this really i think I got really in, interested in uh, landscape uh, in, in time through that because there's, we have this sort of European overriding history where we 're told of this ten thousand years of civilization and um, but at the same time until until two hundred and fifty years ago there was um, indigenous culture in Australia, there was Māori culture in, in, uh, in New Zealand that were operating at a completely another level, um, and before that, these um, non human natures that were were kind of existing. So I think from very early on, I was trying to understand this kind of this the ways these different time frames overlapped and trying to understand what was coming out of this, um, this kind of flux in the landscape where you could see. I could really feel this um, resonance and echo of these, this primordial landscape because, like I said, there were still trees and remnants that, you know, those some of those trees were nearly 2,000 years old when the first humans arrived, but they were still standing and living. And those trees were ger- um, would have been germinated by all these extinct bird species that were no longer there. so um, And then there was, you know, all these introduced European animals and, and you know, there were some... I remember uh, you know, going to these little groups of forests where, or bush, bushland on farms where a whole lot of chickens had gone kind of feral again and were sort of living wild in the bush. And then afterwards I made a work, um, New World Order, where I sort of realised afterwards that I was actually sort of recreating that childhood image and I hadn't even thought about it in the, um, in the, in the making of the work. Um And then so I guess there's and within that landscape there was also a whole lot of industry and a whole lot of sort of 20th century um, post world War II sort of chemical pollution going on and destruction. And then I guess also across my lifespan there's been this introduction of technology that started to um, to sort of pervade everything and sort of technology has now started to kind of replace this replace the natural world or... Um, Sort of replace human culture in a way. So, I think my whole whole experience of um, trying to make sense of that landscape and that world um, has really sort of resonated throughout um, throughout my practice. Um, the work in in and the Biennale was, I, I guess that's that's ba- based from another childhood story on that landscape because I would um, um, there was you know creeks and sort of remnant swamps on this land so. It, when my grandfather, would, the days we would kill chickens, because he had his own chickens, we'd sort of butcher them and we'd keep the guts and then at night go down in the dark with a torch and put the, put the chicken guts in an onion bag in the, in the stream and just kind of wait there for, the, for eels to, to see if eels... Would, eels always came up, but... In Maori mythology, of, the, of that place and that landscape, when, when Maori first arrived, there were six metre long eels that would often kill um, or eat people, basically, because they grew to hundreds of years old, um, and they were really quite revered, and they became mythical creatures, and, and sort of inhabited um, inhabited the kind of underworld of New Zealand, which is has, if you know that landscape, can have a real, quite a dominant kind of presence, this black kind of underworld. Um, and I always felt like the eels kind of emerged or appeared from that um, from that space. Um, yeah, so we, I would be sitting down the stream at night, you know, just kind of hoping for one of these kind of mythical, and thinking about one of, you know, just maybe there's still a remnant mm-hmm. um, one left somewhere that's going to um, smell this chicken guts and kind of appear. Um, and I, and a, I mean, probably jumping Around, but the um, I guess the other thing in that space too is how, like my whole sense of making my, my whole kind of making sense of that landscape as well in spiritual terms was through um, through Maori culture and, and through design and song, and it, even just seeing it as an outsider, just a form of the material culture, the form of the design, the color that was used, the sound, um that were made, conjured up and um, articulated that landscape in, um, in a way that I could really understand on a spiritual level. And I remember when I moved to Australia 20 years ago and, and one of the first places I went to was Art Gallery of New South Wales um, and saw a whole indigenous collection of um, paintings of Australian landscape and that was the first key thing that began me kind of understanding Australian landscape on that kind of... Um, a more personal spiritual level of, of how to understand it. So, um, and I guess that also relates to this sort of some of my, my thinking over my practice or, around how um, Indigenous culture, cultural knowledge is um, thought about and worked with in, in landscape. Um, or I recently did a work um, together again where I was doing a performance with a um, dingo. And I was living with the dingo for... Well, I'm still living with the dingo because he's, he's, he's integrated <laughs> himself. Um, but, um, yeah, the idea with that work was... Because I, re- I was reading out quite a lot about um, forming a relationship with a dingo, and the whole idea of the work really was creating this sort of intimacy with, um, with an animal, and in this case, a dingo. And because they're such kind of shy... Um, Animals whose whole all of their relationships are kind of based on trust and intimacy. I spent a month with him before the performance, getting to know you know sort of us getting to know each other. Um, but also, and the more I sort of think about um, the dingo as a cultural symbol, and and you know that their history is a, a you know as cultural property in Indigenous culture, and the way that those kind of relationships are really ignored in in colonized um, colonized countries and Kind of the relationship with the dingo is very, is then rewritten in a very Western way, whether that be positive um, or negative. And similar so similarly with the eel in, the New, Zeal, in New Zealand, which is another really important cultural, um, it's called it, they would call it the tonga, which is like a cultural treasure in, in Maori culture. So, and but then white, um, kind of white civilizations come in and, and kind of performed war on eels because they were competing with European introduced fish um, or they thought they were, so there was bounties on their heads so particularly in the 60s and 70s there were millions of giant eels just slaughtered for for bounty basically um, without any sort of regard to their cultural importance in in Maori culture or their ecological importance Um, and the sort of other sort of new history or new relationship written about them so, yeah, I think between these works and the way I've been thinking about them, I was, you know, I, I was working with the eel as this kind of symbol and I um, thought it was very important to consult with and, and work with and incorporate um, uh, with Maori culture in, that, in, in the production of that work. And what I ended up um, doing was um, working with a, a Maori woman who performs, performs karanga, which is like a spiritual calling, um, which is used to welcome... It's used in a lot of situations, and there's a lot of um, situations and ways that can be used. Um, So she went off and did quite a bit of research about eels and um, finding appropriate um, karanga and came back with five that kind of fitted the sort of story I was telling. And the story I was telling is actually um, back to... I didn't tell the rest of the story about the eels... One day I went down to that, um, the same stream where I fed them and a an, uh, factory up somewhere up, upstream had dumped something in the stream so there was hundreds of dead eels all, um, all lined up across the, along the bank that all just crawled up in a line. Um, and I never ever told anyone about those stories but these are the kind of traumas I think that we're facing on a daily basis. I mean in Sydney recently they've been cutting down um, thousands upon thousands of hundred year old trees mm. or older and um, the sort of trauma that mm. the, for people who are sensitive to that thing the, those kind of things and I think those are things we live with um, all the time but anyway so then it, so I was sort of creating this narrative in my work that related to um, to this story of my relationship with the eels in this particular place um, so and was relaying these stories to to Betty who I was working with and um, so she sort of curated this selection of five karana around this, around this story so, but I very much handed it over to her um, to bring those back and perform them in the way that she wanted and in the, and in the order, she had a very particular order um, yeah and then we sort of composed on, on top of that so yeah I think that sort of covers a, a few things yeah, yeah thank you <laughs>
2: So, you know, I think what's uh, quite profound and moving in in all of your approaches is uh, the way that art can possibly act as a a lamentation, a meditation, or also um, a a way of uh, even contemplating, you know, Unfathomable time, or also unfathomable moments of destruction mm. and and as ways to acceptance in, in, in certain in certain ways, I realize that um, it keeps getting increasingly warm in this room and um, and I think we probably have about I ten to fifteen minutes I think it 's because. I think it is, yeah I think it's because we have such, so many warm closely connected bodies here um, but uh, so I think I'd like to open straight up to, to the audience um, to, to questions and then we can you know, if, if everyone doesn't mind if we maybe go five five minutes or so over time, that'd be great Are you all in deep contemplative states? Thank you, oh, thank you, Jasmine Stevens. Yeah.
0: Oh well, thank you for uh, wonderful presentations. I'd like to uh, return to the title of the exhibition, which is "Divided Worlds," and uh, ask our panelists about the tension between the division and conflict in the specific circumstances that you engage with in your work and the more general, universal, unifying ideas about the relationships that we aspire to have with each other and other species. So I think there's a tension between the specificity of the situation in your work and the more general aspirations of um, all of you. I'm uh, so,
5: not so I guess quite sure.
2: Perhaps the question, thinking about yeah. the, 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 title the specific... at um, the 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 works that you've made as very, you know, connecting to very specific moments or stories or histories and then um, how those connect to larger universal Mm, concerns. Is that
5: about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll quickly go first. Um, Yeah, I guess I've been thinking a lot about the title. I mean, not really making... Obviously not making my work for the title, but, like, the ideas I've been working with really specifically... Kind of fit. So I think in the, the, we've been, we're living in this kind of time, like of so many divided worlds, um, and um, in particular, we're just talking about thinking about time, like that idea I was thinking about with time, like we these different sort of overlaid timelines of um, involved in sort of European colonisation and, and um, the way that histories are expressed, or. Um, your cultural differences, um, economic differences, um, and also, I guess, particularly for my work, maybe this one thing I'm thinking about a lot is this. You know, the, very much that what's going on at the moment is this death of the ancient in terms of our kind of cultural and spiritual connection to physical environment or physical nature, which is increasingly being replaced by this these kind of technological representations. So. For me, that was a particularly interesting divided world that we're at the point in a juxtaposition, yeah, a point of kind of dealing with.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, divided does hold quite a charge to it, that, that <coughs> word, but um, I suppose I've tr- tried to come at it as thinking a bit more about difference and that, you know, the idea of difference is actually something that can unite us rather than, then kind of tear us apart. So, you know, if we are able as a, as a species to transcend the things that um, are different about each other, about or different species, different cultures, that we can actually um, celebrate the things that do unify us. So for me, I mean, we could come at this question in many ways, but if I was to talk about it in terms of the body in my work, um, obviously it's a physical thing that we all share, every single one of us. It's a very personal relationship, but it's also a, a cultural Relationship too to our bodies, and often in Western culture, we're you know we're conditioned to override the impulses of the body and the intelligence of the body. Um, But I suppose in in my work, I'm asking the viewer to to celebrate this incredible instrument of perception that we've been given, um, and in a hope that I can kind of portray a diversity of, of bodies and identities, but that the nature of um, the difference is actually something that's incredibly beautiful that we should be celebrating.
3: Yeah, um, I agree you know, in terms of this regard for the uh, ancient and also understanding our bodies before, uh, beyond our physicality as well. And uh, with that particular work, I think divided worlds is, is a charged, as you said, it's a, it's a charged title. And, uh, and I think it's a discussion and a conversation that needs to be had uh, in In those works, uh, yes, they started out with a a specific incident and a specific time but uh, as as time is sort of uh, uh, moving, um, you know they could be anywhere uh, in terms of what 's happening at the moment, in terms of how it's been normalized to images and uh, and it become uh, you know uh, complacent in terms of how we deal with uh, uh, images of, of, of violence and our relationship to that um, but these, these are these are uh, the big questions for us as as a collective uh, uh, you know, society in terms of where, where do we move from here and how do we negotiate or consider the ancient as well and and our relationship to that so um, yeah
4: thank okay. you Thanks. Um, Look, it's just an observation, really. Um, And I hope it doesn't seem so obvious and banal, but each of the artists talking here now and early in the earlier session, it's so obvious that... You know, Caleb talked about meditating on war and Lee picked up on meditation as well. And, you know... I've been reflecting, listening to you all, on how much depth there is to your thinking about what you're doing. And I think there's an interesting observation about art making to the extent that these artists reflect that kind of depth about where they're coming from in making their art. And it's not about impulse, not that there's anything wrong with impulse, but it strikes me that it's a particularly interesting, almost phenomenon, of, of, you know, that we've seen here today, and I think it's reflected generally in the divided world show. This depth of thinking from artists. I just wanted to make that observation. Thank you. Thank
5: you. There's another one. there's a lady there. Someone in
1: the middle. The
5: lady in the green there. Yeah. Hello,
0: thank you very much for your, um, your words today. I really appreciate it. The question is, if we disregard the ancient um, because of technology or our disconnect from tradition, culture, land, um, could that have a, is this the reason that there is such an impact um, experienced by people in our developed world today that uh, we have so much dysfunction um, with um, mental problems, physical problems, and those sorts of things. Is that something that you are wanting to consult or for us to have a look at in your work?
5: Um, Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that statement. And I I think um, it's something... um, That you were saying earlier about this um, impermanence, Um, because you know this landscape, this land that I grew up, for instance, was sold when I was 18, and it's now got a subdivision on it, you know, Um, and that kind of creates a sort of a a lifelong pain because that was this one bit of land that I'm really, although I do go back and visit it even still, but um, but I, and within my own life, trying to deal with that impermanence and trying to make connections with landscape. Like particular national parks I'll go to, or particular places I'll camp, or particular trees within the city that I have formed kind of relationships with, or, or place. But it's so difficult when you know that at any moment things are getting developed or turned over, or you you see you know over my lifetime you know, you you see the land you see the environment becoming more and more sort of depleted. Um, and I think you know that that can, I, I mean. I... I think, yeah, I mean, we've, our whole culture, is, our whole history of our evolution is, a, is about that sort of completely embedded relationship and with the natural world. So pulling us out of that, it's got to have some kind of ramifications. You know, what? how do we place ourselves um, otherwise?
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not a human supremacist, and I think um, that's kind of where our culture's heading. And I'm, I think... I suppose in, in my work I try to pierce that and um, uh, upend it because I, um, I, I can't see how sustainable point of view to be able to keep progressing with such a... You know, this idea of, of superiority of human consciousness. I, I don't believe that there is such a thing. I don't think we are superior to other species. So to, to be reminded of the teachings and the connections to deep time, I think, helps to stop us from shrinking into this kind of um, psychosis of supremacy that's, uh, you know, causing a lot of problems. Mm.
5: I totally agree with that. That That's the one thing that keeps me somehow optimistic, even though the world's not looking very positive in my eyes, but um, this idea of deep time and being able to appreciate all that's gone before and whatever happens with us, like everything that's going to happen after, you know, that, that continued evolution and flourishing and... Um, Autonomous. The idea of nature being autonomous again makes me very excited. Yes. But, yeah, yeah, that gives no, me a lot good. of yeah, <laughs> that gives me a
3: lot of hope. Yeah, yeah. Agree. I mm. think uh, we're all traumatized uh, things, aren't we? So, uh, and um, it's about understanding that, uh, and um, it's about working through some sort of uh, recognition of that and acceptance of that as well. The only way to move forward in terms of where we are. And, where we've been and what we need to do, and, and this idea of a supreme uh, entity or being, uh, you know, being the human, I think uh, we've got to realise it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fabricated myth, so it's a fabrication. So, yep.
2: Yeah, thank mm. you. Thank you so much. I think what you've, you know, all sort of taken us through to, and also thank you for all the observations and questions from. The crowd, but um, an acknowledgement of the forces that are much greater than, than all of us and and how to you know, even you. attempt to think through those with respect for um, place for ancestors and for fellow beings and and in doing so, I think you 've all brought out you know incredible stories of resilience um, ultimately, which you know hopefully takes us to a positive note to, to, <laughs> to end on, but that these you know, lamentations are you know, profoundly important to to think about. I'm so excited that you'll get a chance to to um, to spend more time with um, with each of the works of Khaled Sabsabi, Amos Gebhardt and Hayden Fowler and I'd love it if you could just join me in appreciating and thanking <laughs>